Beneath the surface of the Matrix lies an enigmatic code, an arcade key holding the potential to unlock the deepest mysteries of our reality and bestow upon us unparalleled knowledge and influence. Drawing upon the groundbreaking insights of Robert Edward Grant, we embark on an exhilarating expedition that penetrates the core of the Matrix, unearthing a complex web interlaced with mathematics, geometry, energy patterns, and frequency. Delving into the cryptic codes, concealed patterns, hidden energy, and the very essence of the Matrix itself, we edge closer to deciphering the enigmatic design that shapes our existence. Join us on this captivating journey as we disentangle the enigmas of the Matrix, laying bare its inner mechanisms and revealing the universal language that underpins its architecture. With each stride, we come nearer to comprehending the true nature of our reality, and once we seize the quintessence of this knowledge, the world will be within our grasp. By mastering this code, we liberate ourselves from the constraints of the Matrix, surmounting its limitations and harnessing the power to mold our destiny according to our desires. The quest beckons, are you prepared to break free and embrace the infinite possibilities that await beyond the Matrix? When considering the potential existence of a universal language, one may ponder where it could be discovered. It has been speculated that such a language might be expressed through mathematics, geometry, energy patterns, and frequency. But what if this language, or at least its foundation, already exists here on Earth? Could it be that over thousands of years, we have been guided in creating this new form of communication? If this is true, what kind of information could be conveyed through this language that cannot be expressed any other way? To find answers, we must be willing to journey through both time and space. We must keep our eyes and minds open to notice compelling coincidences and to step back far enough to see if the building blocks of some kind of mathematical, spatial, frequency-based language emerge. Before we embark on this journey, let us first pause and take notice of the ways we currently measure and tabulate the world around us. This is an essential step because how we count and measure things can be just as important as the things we count and measure. Let us delve deeper into why we count things and how we measure them, starting with time. The smallest practical unit is one second. We all know that it takes 60 seconds to make a minute, and then 60 of these minutes to make an hour. The hour is the unit by which we divide our days, and these days become months, years, decades, centuries, and so on. Interestingly, many aspects of geometry, whether two- or three-dimensional, are derived from base 60 mathematics. These provide the foundation for a 360-degree circle, which in turn gives us all the angles and formulas for creating virtually every shape known to humankind. Moving on to counting and grouping things, we can see that many cultures from all over the world have been attracted to the number 12. We have 12 eggs in a dozen, 12 months in a year, 12 inches in a foot, and 12 signs of the zodiac. Strangely, whether it's tallying disciples or mythical gods, the number 12 often appears in the telling of our greatest stories about ourselves. When it comes to measuring distance, your local town might be measured in meters or other units. However, when we talk about measuring our planet, the standards we all use revert back to base 60 units of miles, minutes, or geometrical degrees. It's fascinating to consider how deeply ingrained this numerical system is in our understanding of the world around us. 
As we continue to notice the pattern of 12s and 60s, it begs the question, are they related? To answer this piece of the puzzle, we must travel back roughly 5,000 years to visit the ancient Sumerian culture of Mesopotamia. It is here that our 12-60 based math comes from. This counting system was invented by the same people who produced the world's first written language. It involved counting the knuckles of the four long fingers on one hand and then multiplying them by all five digits on the other hand. If you do this, you will get a maximum number of 12 knuckles times 5 fingers, which of course totals 60. How these cosmic jumps in language and mathematics occurred so suddenly is open to debate. However, it is interesting to note that the ancient Sumerians themselves wrote about being given this information by sky god visitors they called the Anunnaki. Who and what the Anunnaki were is a hotly contested subject, but one thing that cannot be denied is the fact that over 5,000 years ago, a mathematical system was born that incredibly still serves us today. Now that we have our various units of measurement all based on the Sumerian 12-60 counting system, let's jump forward to a few pivotal moments in history where other number patterns and synchronicities appear. In the 6th century BC on the Greek island of Samos, the famed mathematician Pythagoras led a school of thought that married philosophy, mathematics, music, and of course, geometry. While Pythagoras did not discover advanced geometry, he did apply it in new ways, especially to music. Pythagoras noticed that when a taut string was plucked, it would create a tone, and when that string was divided in half, it would make the same tone, only twice as high in pitch. Pythagoras then came up with numerical ratios based on harmonic fifths, and this led to the creation of the musical scale found at the root of most modern music. It is important to note that according to Pythagoras, all musical notes were found by using mathematics and were given number values according to their placement in a kind of master grid. For instance, by using fifths beginning from note number 1, he was eventually guided to note 27. To find the same note twice as high in pitch, he simply kept doubling it to 54, 108, 216, 432, and so on up the scale. If you've ever heard of Pythagorean tuning, you know that the number 432 is quite important to Pythagoras himself. It probably wouldn't have stood out more than any other in his numerical grid, but in our quest to find a universal language based on mathematics and frequency, every piece of the puzzle counts. And it's fascinating to see how even in ancient times, people were discovering mathematical patterns that would later become fundamental to our understanding of the world. This particular note, 432 cycles per second, represents a significant piece of coincidental evidence. Many ancient musical instruments, from Tibetan bowls to Native American flutes, happen to produce the same tone. It vibrates at 432 cycles per second. That's compelling, but even more intriguing is the fact that Pythagoras was not calculating vibration cycles to find tone 432. It just happens to be the same number. For decades, most modern musical instruments were also tuned to this same fourth octave A with a value of 432 cycles. How could this be? Who chose this particular note as the keystone for instrument tuning? And most importantly, why? Here is where a deeper mystery begins to emerge, and to explore it, we will need to go back to Pythagoras' other passion, geometry. 
It is not an exaggeration to say that to Pythagoras and his disciples, geometry and math held a key to the nature of all life everywhere. And maybe it does. Let's look at the first four geometric shapes, the circle, triangle, square, and pentagon. Each of them has angles of degrees that, when added together, always total a specific number relative to that particular shape. For instance, if we take a triangle, the sum total of all three interior angles is always 180. For both the square and circle, it is 360. For a pentagon, it is 540. Now, at this moment, let's step back and look at these numbers in a different way, as there seems to be something about them that reaches beyond a simple sum of angles. Did you notice that they happen to be in the same numerical neighborhood as Tone 432? What's more, they all add up to 9, just like 432. As an experiment, let's take a look at the numbers found in basic geometric shapes and then apply those numbers as vibration cycles to hear the tones they produce. First, let's listen to what the 180 total degrees contained in a triangle sound like. And here's the squares and circles, 360 in cycles per second, a perfect octave up from the triangle. What about the pentagon at 540? That sounds like a harmonic fifth of the other two. That's interesting. What are these tones? They are F-sharp and its perfect harmonic fifth of C-sharp. Let's keep going. What does a hexagon, 720, sound like? Another F-sharp. Here's a seven-sided septagon, which totals 900. This is an A-sharp, which happens to be the note required to complete an F-sharp major chord in imperfect three-part harmony. And finally, the octagon where we get 1080, another C-sharp. Suddenly, geometry is expressed by tones, and these tones just happen to create the most beautiful form of music, a perfect three-part major chord in the key of F-sharp. Is this something we've been missing for years? Is it important? To the famous philosopher and mathematician Plato, the answer would have been a resounding yes, for it is Plato who advanced the study of two-dimensional geometry into three-dimensional geometry, and who began to recognize that nature, whether expressed as a tone, the petal design of a flower, or the spiraling design of a seashell, seemed to follow a 3D mathematical pattern. In fact, it became an obsession of Plato to try and find the simplest three-dimensional geometric shapes, and his quest ultimately revealed what we now call the Platonic Solids. In essence, these forms represent the most elemental construction blocks found both in human-made and natural forms. So let's see if and how they fit into our geometry tone grid. First, there is the tetrahedron, or a three-sided pyramid comprised of four interlocking triangles. As we did before, let's add up all the angles found in those four triangles. The answer is 720, which we have already seen is the tone F-sharp. Next, we have the cube whose six 360-degree squares totals 2160. What does it sound like? 2160 is a high C-sharp and, as you will see later, a very interesting number. Other reasons may exist as well. Next up is the octahedron, constructed of eight triangles. This shape totals 1440, which is another perfect F-sharp higher up the scale. 
The icosahedron is made up of 20 triangles, so the total number of degrees is 3600, which as a tone, 3600 vibration cycles create the A-sharp needed to complete yet another F-sharp major chord that sounds like this. At this point, we have seen how two- and three-dimensional geometry can be expressed by the notes found in an F-sharp major chord. Could this also be true with what is known as sacred geometry? To find out, we will first need to build a design called the germ of life, which when repeated goes on to reveal the seed of life, then the flower of life pattern found at sacred sites all over the world. First, we start with a circle of 360 degrees, which is the familiar F-sharp. We then add our second circle, bringing the total to 720. Another F-sharp, three circles totals 1080, which provides the harmonic fifth of C-sharp. Four circles are 1440, another F-sharp, five circles totals 1800, or the A-sharp, which is muted to once again provide the harmonic third of an F-sharp major chord. And finally, the sixth circle, which brings the total to 2160, another C-sharp. Amazing. And it's as if we can now both see and hear the flower of life pattern that has intrigued humankind for thousands of years. So now we have two-dimensional geometry, three-dimensional geometry, and even sacred geometry being represented by different variations of an F-sharp major chord. How is this not common knowledge? How have we missed this connection? There are actually three explanations. One, for reasons ranging from the mundane to the conspiratorial, musical instruments are no longer tuned to an A vibrating at 432 cycles per second, but rather 442. Two, modern tuning calls for equal temperament, which no longer adheres to Pythagoras' whole number's simplicity. And three, the tuning method required to reveal geometric shapes is based on a mathematical grid rather than mathematical ratios. The musical grid we've been exploring, which is based on the number nine, reveals not just some, but all of our geometric numbers. This factor nine grid is the key to understanding the connection between music and geometry. By starting at note A at 216 cycles, we can add or subtract the number 9 to reveal all the other tones in that octave. In contrast, modern 440 tuning does not adhere to Pythagoras' simplicity and does not reveal any correlation to geometric numbers. Now, let's focus on one of these numbers, 2160. It is expressed by both the cube and the germ of life pattern. Without the zero, it is half of our magic 432. What is even more intriguing is that this number keeps showing up in other large-scale measurements. To discover one of these measurements, we need to jump forward from Plato's time to the flourishing Mayan civilization approximately 1500 years ago. Mayan stargazers were the most accomplished astronomers in the world, and their concept of cyclical time led to many incredible discoveries. They accurately determined the length of the year, the exact dates of seasonal changes, and even the moments when solar and lunar eclipses would occur. But their most amazing discovery was of something known as the precession of the equinoxes, which makes note of the very slow wobble of Earth's axis. Somehow aware of the fact that this wobble takes 25,920 years to complete, 
The Mayans called this cycle one great year, with each of its 12 great months requiring 2160 Earth years to complete. Did you know that the diameter of our moon, when measured in miles, also happens to total 2160? The appearance of this number in such diverse contexts suggests that it is more than a mere coincidence and may indicate a deeper underlying pattern in the universe. Let's take a closer look at the significance of the number 432. When we apply simple division to this synchronous number, 2160, we find that 2160 divided by 2 is 1080, by 3 is 720, by 4 is 540, by 5 is 432, and by 6 is 360. These angles correspond to the octagon, hexagon, pentagon, and square slash circle, respectively, and all of them are F-sharps and C-sharps, with 432 thrown into the mix as if it were a clue to solving a cosmic riddle. It's worth noting that our closest celestial neighbor, the moon, is 2,160 miles across, which is exactly half of 432. But what about the sun? Did you know that the sun's number sequence is exactly twice 432 and that there are 86,400 seconds in a day? 43,200 for the 12 hours of day and 43,200 for the 12 hours of night? Or that if we take the 360 degrees found in the circular shape of the sun and moon and then multiply it by the 12 hours of either day or night, we get the answer 4320. Even more fascinating is the fact that the only whole number that, when squared, comes to within 0.01% accuracy of measuring the speed of light is 432. What is going on here? How can all these different things, Earth cycles, time, and celestial measurements be represented by these same numbers over and over again? To answer this, we must look back to the 5,000-year-old Sumerian 1260 counting system, which gave us the inches to a foot, the seconds to a minute, and the 360 degrees in geometry. It's almost as if the sky got visitors, who the Sumerians called the Anunnaki, who provided humanity with a counting system that would lead to the discovery of the synchronicities. Could it be that the number 432 really is a cosmic key that unlocks a language of higher understanding? And if so, have these sky visitors ever been back to make sure we don't miss the importance of the 432 matrix? One possible explanation for these synchronicities can be found in the story of George Van Tassel, an aeronautical engineer who claimed to have been contacted by extraterrestrial beings in the early 1950s. During this encounter, Van Tassel said he was given a mathematical formula that could be used for everything from time travel to sound frequency healing. The formula is F is equal to 1 over T, or frequency equals 1 divided by the number of time units. What if the one unit of time used in this formula was the largest one on our planet, the one great year of 25,920 years discovered by the Mayans? And what if the number for time was the most logical choice of 60? Suddenly this mysterious equation is expressed as frequency equals 25,920 divided by 60, which equals 432. Not only is this the frequency that all instruments have been tuned to for thousands of years, but it also reveals the synchronistic nature of life on this planet. 
It begs the question, were other ancient cultures aware of these synchronicities as well? It seems likely as the Sumerian counting system, for example, includes the number 144, which is both a number and a tone contained within our factor 9 grid. As we expand outward, we find 1440 and 144,000, a number that appears all over the world, in compelling ways. Consider the Great Pyramid of Giza, covered with 144,000 smooth, white-casing stones. The ancient Mayans also used 144,000 days in their 394-year back-ton time cycle, which has just begun again. In the Bible, there is a reference to 144,000 chosen ones who will be redeemed from the earth prior to the apocalypse. Clearly, number sequences like these have been significant to many cultures and religious sects. The Freemasons, an enigmatic group of supposed keepers of sacred information, were also aware of the Factor 9 grid, the 432 key, and the number 144,000. Their infatuation with the numbers 3 and 13 is noteworthy. For example, if you divide 144,000 by 432, the answer is 333.3 into infinity. Furthermore, the shape of the flat-topped pyramid appears as if someone had drawn four dots in a line, then three above it, then two above that, and connected those dots to reveal the iconic shape. Let's not forget that the square root of all our important factor 9 grid is three threes. In India, large cycles of time are called Kali Yugas, each one lasting 432,000 years. The number 432 appears so often in sacred structures and myths, from Stonehenge to the pyramids, that author Joseph Campbell considered it to be the most important mythological number in history. What is being expressed by all of these coincidences? One answer is that over the course of history, we have been guided toward the subconscious creation and eventual conscious recognition of a grand pattern based on frequency, mathematics, time, space, and geometry. These synchronistic numbers, shapes, and tones may represent the building blocks of a language that we do not yet fully understand, but that could turn out to be the most important language we will ever learn. How will we use it? Who will we be conversing with? Time will tell. Millennia ago, prophets, shamans, and seers from all over the world described an era when humanity would make some kind of cosmic leap into a next level of consciousness. Here, at the dawning of the age of Aquarius and the start of a new Mayan Bakhtun, maybe it's happening.
Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello and welcome back, everybody, from our last visit. We had everybody on here talking. Well, we had you and I, Jeff Rowe. We were talking about frequency and how important it is to everything and how it uh, relates to literally everything. Uh, in in our lives and life itself and history and future and time and all of that fun jazz. Jeffro, you're you're here. Yes, in the flesh. How's everybody doing out there in podcast land? Yeah, I'm sure they're fine. This is fucking weird for me, buddy. Because I mean, you're you're on the road all the time. You you've been on the road for what? four or five weeks now straight yeah it was like eight weeks it was seven or eight weeks something like that that is ridiculous that's very ridiculous and then you get back and you're like all right mario let's we're we're gonna do this we're gonna record i'm like jeffro i'm out of state buddy i took a little trip well deserved trip well yeah well you could say well deserved and and i'll i'll agree with you there (laughs) but uh it, it was just again timing you know, trying to get everything together, but now you're you're home for a little bit. I'm here. We're uh, we're going to continue with the discussion on frequency, and uh, you know, first we we really hit on the uh, different frequencies and just tones, you know, music and things like that, and how that matters and how much it does matter, and you know how it affects your mental stability and your moods and. You know, the reason why you listen to different types of music, you know, you're maybe you're angry, you're listening to angry music, or maybe you're happy, you're listening to happy music, or maybe you're just, uh, you know, I don't know, excited and listening to Pornhub. Uh, but <laughs> we're going deeper into the uh, geometry side of tones and frequency as well as time as frequency, you know, right. and uh, light. Uh, Jeff, you've got a lot here. I'm looking at I'm looking at his his book here right now, and he's got like all this shit written down. And you wouldn't believe it as as many times as you might believe it. You, you probably do believe it, but I'm I work myself, and I'm always busy. I'm always doing something. I always got something going on. Like even right now, I've got uh, you know all my concrete was redone around my house, like front to back, just redone all concrete, stamped, colored, all that fun stuff. And even in all the things that I do in my day-to-day life, Jeff Rowe is four, what, four or five weeks out on the road, and I'll just get a shit ton of YouTube. Check this out, or TikToks. Check this out. Oh my God, my mind's blown. Check this out. Give me a minute, Jeff Rowe. I'm, 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 I might. I'm, so I try to catch. I try to watch all your videos, buddy. But the problem with that is. I only get make maybe half of them because I only have time to watch half of them, and I know if I if I'm looking at these videos or whatever while I'm out of state and trying to spend time with the uh, the wife and everything, she'd probably kill me or castrate me or you know castrate me then kill me, um, which you know, whichever is going to fit her mood at that time because her frequency's off. <laughs> but you've got plenty of information for us. We're always counting you for information. I know everybody on the Discord. Um, People reach it out to us on our email platform, our Wix platform. Um, we got people, a lot of a lot of our friends on Discord. That uh, you know, if you are on our Discord, you get a lot of special little things, little tidbits. Some of the videos or you know that we reference here, you know, we'll 
put them up. They're, they're much better visually when you're watching them rather than just listening to them. And, you know, I still have people asking me, why don't you guys just put your podcast on YouTube? Well, we're not exactly camera friendly, I guess. <laughs> well, and some of the subject matters we cover, I don't know how long we would actually have the channel. Yeah. And it's, it's not that we, maybe we will at some point. I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right right now. Anyway, I'm rambling on over stupid shit. We've got much, much more deeper subject matter to talk about here. Right. And, and to touch base on why I have so many notes, this particular subject for me, as I said at the beginning of the previous podcast, it's it's part of my spiritual awakening, right? So I'm, I'm very biased with some of this information, but I also want to go ahead and bring a lot of the, the science and some of the things that I've come across and why it correlates to my way of thinking. You know, just to roughly touch base on a few of the things that we covered in the previous episode, you know, we talked from everything about how unique the middle ear of the mammalian animal is and some of the design and some of the different things that you see that correlate back to what happened to us physically 200,000 years ago with our chromosomal changes. Um, another thing that we talked about was how that affected our our consciousness and how it affected our cerebral cortex and our brain, which, and those are the kind of things that really interest me whenever we correlate hertz and, and frequency and, and why does it matter and why does this whole number of nine fractal number of nine, why is it so important? Why is 432 hertz so important? Why is 528 hertz so important? And the one thing that I want to go ahead and quickly review is near the end of the last episode, we introduced the idea of the Mendelbrot system. And the reason why I think the Mendelbrot system is a really good sort of correlation to go forward here is because whenever you create the, uh, Dr. Mendelbrot, whenever the computers became really accessible to everybody in the 70s, 80s, and well, not to everybody, but the I was going to say, you field. said 70s, like what? Right, right. Well, he, he came out with the system when the computers were available to... I think people were excited to have a Casio watch in the <laughs> 70s and maybe early 80s, right? Right. But, you know, the, the scientific fields had more access to computers. You can create a fractal number nine equation right and you can create these really beautiful sort of uh fractal patterns that go on for affinity right and one of the things they talk about the idea behind the mental brought system is uh one of the videos we we played in the previous episode talked about the the buddha brought or the the mental brought set that referenced a you know similarly looked like a buddha and you can continue playing this this fractal, this fraction that you came up with, this fractal, and go into infinity and, and watch this thing go down forever. So the, the smallest portion of the whole is always the same. Meaning the only way you could change something about that numerical fraction or that Mendelbrot system was if you went all the way back to source. If you went all the way back to the source code, the initial fraction. That's the only way you could change something. And I think that's a very interesting sort of dichotomy whenever you think about religious texts and you talk about anything spiritual going back into our history and going back into you know ancient history. People reference these sort of ideas all the time. 
And I reference on the podcast here constantly, three, six, nine, right? Four thirty-two, five twenty-eight. The uh, Fibonacci sequence, you know, the one, 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 two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty-one, thirty-four, fifty-five, right? 12. So eighty-nine, one forty-four. The divine number of twelve, um, twenty-one with the the spirit. Why answer to life sixty-four? Right, seventy-two. You know, seven-two. Um, and interesting enough, seven-two. I, I wanted to bring it up in the last podcast, but I, I think I may have overlooked it. But uh, the body, the human body, the pH, for it to require the a level pH, so where you're not too acidic or too alkaline, the exact pH is actually seven point two. Hmm. So again, you know these. Why is it so important? Why do I hammer these numbers constantly? It's because these numbers, whenever you and if you think back to the video that we played to open up this episode, I want to leave almost no doubt in the audience's mind that these fractal patterns, these numbers, they matter. They matter because they're part of what seemingly is some kind of holographic code or some sort of hologram that the universe is based in right wait a minute are you talking about the matrix i absolutely i'm talking about the matrix right we talk about there being clues in, in movies all the time right yeah absolutely um a little bit like the the, the movie we referenced the the mimsy i reference yeah. the movie all the time i love that movie it's a great movie speaking of movies uh, just a quick uh, plug here, and I'm getting nothing for this, but we've talked about it many a times the past, you know, since we started the podcast was the uh, the Sound of Freedom. And now that movie has recently been released only in selective theaters, though, because it's once again, you knew this was going to happen with the information that this uh, this movie brings along the lines of, uh, you know, the adrenochroming of children and things like that. We knew that there was going to be massive suppression on a huge scale. And uh, one of those things was, and maybe that has to do with one of the reasons why Disney acquired Fox. Maybe they knew. Maybe they knew. Right, because it was Fox Searchlight that initially greenlighted the program or the the, the project. And then Disney bought them out. And now it's since then it was shut down by Disney, right? So this is no longer a Fox Searchlight production. Um, it's a, uh, I believe it's angel production, angel production or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a, a very low grade production when I don't, I don't mean low grade as far as video. Well, no, quality. because I it mean, was actually produced underneath Fox light. And as you told right. me, it was already done. They just were not going to release oh, it. It was done. It, it was, was done. That's was even, definitely that's done. even more sketchy. And, uh, you know, and, and I, sh- I, I shared a video, a TikTok with you of, of a woman who went to an AMC theater which, and if you know AMC, they're owned by Disney as well. Miraculously, their air conditioning was shut down, and uh, they tried shutting the theater. <laughs> that particular theater, just showing that particular picture, which I'm sure there are many theaters inside the establishment, none of those guys shut down. Right, so other movies way. were being other shown. Other movies were being shown, other movies were being played. You know Disney was making money off of Indiana Jones still. But they shut down that one particular theater and the theater was empty even though all the tickets were sold 
the theater was shut down because there was no AC and they failed to tell everybody, yeah, you can still come watch it. They just didn't tell anybody that. Well, they reimbursed everybody there their ticket and said, you know, forget it. Don't come. Right. Exactly. And in a time whenever movie theaters are struggling so bad, Hollywood is struggling so bad for, Great for ticket point. sales. Why in the world would a movie theater go out of their way to say, Oh, what? Never mind. Just stay home. And, and you know what? I, I think this, this conversation, even though it seems to be a little bit deviated, it's not, it's not, it, it goes to what we're talking about. It goes to patterns. Why patterns matter? Why? You know, I've, I've talked about the flag issue in the past, right? Symbolism either matters or, or doesn't it doesn't matter. matter, right? But the fact of the matter is that there's a reason why it exists, so it matters. Right. And then whenever you, you look at something as innocuous as, oh, frequency, come on, Jeffrey, what are you talking about? Why does it matter? I, I hope by the end of this series, whether we do another episode or, or if this is the final, I leave no doubt in your mind that it, at least has to be contemplated that some of these ideas need to be looked into and and you know meditated on prayed on whatever it is you that you're comfortable with doing because i well, i don't think not only do crazy. they not only do they matter i think not only are 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 there uh your researchers and scientists out there looking into these different things i mean we all know that but the, again you can take information and you can use it in a positive matter. You can use it in a negative matter. And the, that's, again, we, we go back to frequency, right? That's what we're talking about here. You know, when, you, when you have this powerful information, how is it going to be used? Right. Right, because knowledge is power. And just real quick, I, I want to make sure we do not overlook some of the information we presented in the first podcast. Some of the things we talked about were, you know, the, the chamber in the king's chamber and the great pyramid being uh, a 432 hertz whenever you struck it, right? The sarcophagus. Again, uh, the possibility that it might have been housing something like the Ark of the Covenant, right? Uh, we also talked about the crystals in the pineal gland, and the pineal gland has constantly been referred to in art as the Eye of Horus, right? In Egyptian art, architecture, Egyptian art, and you look at the Temple of Horus, all of a sudden in the Temple of Horus, you have something akin to a Wi-Fi signal etched into the wall along with uh, Horus holding something like a pineal, like, like a, a pine cone, which people reference looks like pineal. the pineal gland. And then you look into coming into this episode, again, you have these sacred, almost fractal patterns that continuously happen in nature happen in science happen in numerology happen in geometry and again it's all connected like we were just it's, talking about it's all connected the reference to the you know the movie the the sound of freedom movie where they mentioned the adrenochroming of children where we know that the substance comes from the pineal gland the pineal gland it's all connected everything is connected here so when we st when we start talking about these different things, we go down these rabbit holes, we start making different connections, and we're going to continue to do that with each and every episode that we do here, even though it may take us a little bit, but, uh, you know, um, who knows, maybe, maybe in the future, maybe the near future, we can start putting out uh, a little more. I know, I know when I was younger, that was the, you know, my teen years, you know, 
as a young hormonal teenage boy that's all i wanted was somebody to put out a little more but uh and i'm sure that's what our listeners our listeners are listeners a bunch of just little horny teenage boys and girls and they just want to hear us no that's horrible but no but no i say so now we're <laughs> we're jumping into this new episode right right and and, and re- referring the information that we represented at the beginning uh i sat here and watched it with you and you, you brought up a really interesting question. Uh, one of the things, I just want to jump into it because it was the, the, the biggest question that uh, initially popped out to you. And that was, can you want to go ahead and tell everybody about it? No, I can't remember what I did two okay. seconds ago, Jeffro. Come okay, on. Okay, I got you. No, um, in, in the opening video there, one of the things that we talk about constantly is sort of the idea of light, right? I've, re- I've referenced before. The, the theology or the idea that life to exist has to consume life. Right. Right. We consume plants or animal products. Those animals consume plant products and plant products, you know, consume what? Light. Light. So if that idea is accurate, then one has to assume, even though we don't really think about it in that manner, that light is actually life. And this, again, goes all the way back. It's energy. Right. It's, and it's energy, Right. And this goes back to the ideas and, and teachings of ancient religions, right? That in the beginning there was light. Like that was the first thing. Absolute first thing in, in you know, the, the Hebrew Bible and mm-hmm. several other Bibles out there, you know. Um, You're talking about Genesis. Genesis, right. It's the yeah. same thing that was the first thing in the Sumerian Code where they talk about in the beginning there was the primordial sea, the primordial ocean, the, the Namu. Right, which gave light to the Abzu and Tiamat. Which again, we ended the last episode talking a little bit about the Anunnaki, talking about this this fractal pattern of ninety five five, right? This ninety five percent subconscious, five percent consciousness, right? And how that relates to sacred masculine and sacred feminine. You know, Tiamat being you look into the the Anunnaki teachings, they talk about how she was the representation of salt water. And Abzu was a representation of freshwater. And again, that same ratio, right, is 95.5. Because the planet that we live on is a little bit more than 95%, but very, very close, right? 95, it's like 96.3, I think it was. So whenever we take that into consideration, we talk about light and the speed of light. And one of the things that popped out in my mind when I first came across that video was the fact that the speed of light, amazingly, I want to get this number correct, is 186,282 miles. Now, they, they rounded down on that video. Okay, to, so say that again in the mic because your face was not facing. Oh, mic. I'm sorry. Let me go ahead and pull this information up. There you go. It was 186,282 miles per second. That's that's how fast the speed of light travels. You know, we need to invest. We need to, because he's got his tablet right here. We need to invest in a stand for your tablet so that it's, you know, you could see it's like right there in front of your face. That way you're not turning your head away from the mic and nobody can. And then you're right back here and hey, how's everybody doing? I apologize. 
But no, 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 don't you don't need to you don't need to apologize. You're you're doing your best to provide the information. I just want to do my best to make it easier for you because our fans enjoy listening to you. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But uh, the question that you asked me was, why is it significant? Because it's not exactly the speed of light. Yes. Okay. Now I remember. Yes, because it is off. Right. It is off. Uh, Four thirty-two squared is. Uh, Again, let me go ahead and find this number. He's not. It's uh, 186,624 miles. That's 432 squared. So we're looking at what the information they presented on on the video, about a 624 mile difference. But that's actually slightly inaccurate because on this website, the actual speed of light is 186,282, not rounded down to 186,000 even. And what's funny about that is when we uh, compared those two my, miles, because everything, again, is based through Sumerian numerology of, of 60, of base 60, right? Our minutes, everything, you know, yeah. everything that they presented there, the... the Circle, the platonic solids, everything is base 60. Our minutes, our hours, our days, our years, our calendar. Which is why I think most people, when they don't talk about the Anunnaki or they don't talk about the Sumerian text, uh, the Sumerian kings list, all this stuff that the Sumerians left us, a lot of people want to hush some of that information up. They don't want to give it its full, uh, full due, right? But again, so let me go ahead and I'm, I'm deviating a little bit. I'm going to try to read this real quick. Why it's important to understand this information, why it's slightly off just a little bit. Whenever we took the actual numbers of 432 squared and the speed of light, the difference was actually 324 miles. Right? Yeah. Which is an anagram, or if you mix it back up, 432. It could be 432, which is crazy. And which also wide... adds up to... Nine, right. right. Which is what we're talking about here, right? And the reason why they use that specific number is because that is the closest whole number when squared to get to the speed of light, right? If you were to use 433 squared, it's off by 1,500 miles faster. If you use 431, it's 1,500 miles slower. Now, to answer your question, Mario, and possibly the question of, of the audience who would have immediately caught that, saying, hey, it's not exact. Why is it not exact? Well, here, here's why it's not exact. I'm going to read from uh, a blog called Sapphire Mage and David. Okay, and this is, is how he explains it. It just happens that the speed of light is almost exactly 432 squared. The speed of light is actually 186,282 miles per second through a vacuum. And then they're going to explain here in a second why 432 squared is important inside of a vacuum. It should be emphasized, however, that light slows down when passing through a denser substance, like the Earth's atmosphere, or even more through water. The The denser the substance, the slower the speed. We usually think of the vacuum of space as having no substance, and thus we consider the maximum speed of light to be that 186,282 miles per second. Uh, 
However, as known in physics, the vacuum of space is actually a false vacuum, not a true vacuum, because it too has form of substance by virtue of, for example, dark matter or the Higgs boson field. Theoretically, the, field, the, theoretically, the speed of light should be even faster without this substance acting upon it. Indeed, before creation, there was no vacuum of space. And so the primordial light of creation, or another term could be used to pure hidden light, would have been capable of even greater speed, making up that difference, that 324 mile difference. Uh, for any, for lack of any reckon, for for the lack of any recognized term, he wants to call this the absolute true speed of light, and would suggest that the absolute speed is exactly 432 squared. The diminished speed through a false vacuum is currently measured at 186282, which is what we understand it to be. It could be relatively scant. I'm sorry, it was not 324, 342. My, my apologies. 342 miles per second, which is still an anagram of 432. Right. Right? The bottom line is that the speed of light in a vacuum is within 0.001% or one thousandth of a percent of true speed of light, which is a specification established by the creator in the combined cubic form of the Luchot, spelled L-U-C-H-O-T. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If this is in fact the case, he postulates, it means that the current accepted speed is a mere fraction of a fraction of 1% less than the absolute true speed of light through a true vacuum, as would be the case in the primordial light before creation. This implication is fascinating. Not only do we see the radius of the sun, which is 432,000 miles, as a function of that 432, but now also the light that is ultimately emitted from that is 432 squared. So basically, if you guys were able to follow me reading that, the difference between what we're taught in every day the speed of light is just a fraction slower than 432 squared. But that fraction can be explained through the fact that in the beginning, before creation, when light was created, when light was there, right, there was no vacuum. So the true speed of light is actually closer to 432 squared than actually what it is that we can currently observe. Was that, was that, okay, yeah, 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 yeah no, 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 So, so the, the question of why isn't exactly 432 squared? Well, the postulation is it is exactly 432 squared. The difference is the vacuum. The vacuum of space. Actually slows down light right now as we can currently observe it. And I, I think that's fascinating because if any of the pos- postulations that we give on this podcast is even remotely accurate talking about how god is actual light light is alive light is source is energy it's energy right that's that's how all humans create energy through atp right Mm -hmm. this could very well be a mathematical fractional representation of, for the lack of a better term, God. And 
that speculation, whenever I realized that, just blew my mind. Jeffrey, you say all of the uh, all of the different frequencies and all the things that we talk about here. You know, like you said, representation and different uh, symbolisms and things like that. They all matter. And this is, you know, we'll go back to the previous episode we did on this, where we talked about frequency and music and how much it matters. Well, uh, you and I were just kind of, you know going around everything and looking this way and that way. And, uh, you know, if you look it up in, in Google who changed, and again, I'm using Google here, why I don't know, but, uh, who changed music frequency from 432 and to 440, uh, when, you know, the harmonic 432 was changed to a 440, which was, you know, even less harmonic and why, so we're looking at it, and it says, uh, in 1917, the American Federation of Musicians adopted a 440 as American standard pitch. That was in 1917, right? No big deal. In 1939, the International Standardizing Organization, or ISO, met in London to adopt a pitch standard, and after much debate, 440 was agreed upon internationally. Which raises some questions here. And, uh, and again, you know, I'm, I'm using Google here. Obviously, you can only take so much from Google because they start censoring and suppressing everything that you you look uh, you look up on the Internet if it doesn't follow their key. So what happened? Something big happened in 1939 here, Jeffro. What happened in 1939? I'm trying to remember. What didn't happen in 1939? Right. So, um, well, one of the things that you were saying that just completely... I just realized, and right around 1917, World War War, uh, World War One was between 1914 and 1918. Oh well, there you go. Right, and then the beginning of World War Two, though we weren't involved until until December seventh, 1941, started in 1939. But London for sure was. I mean, we're London talking... was an attack under yeah the Nazis. Yeah. So not only did that happen in 1939, so almost as if, dare I say. Once the world became, uh, lost its harmonic frequency, yeah. it's almost as if the world itself imploded, right? This is the same time that we talked about the real society in Germany created the first UFO, right? This is the same time, uh, the 1939 was when Hitler's uh, People's Party in Germany came to power, right? 1939, this is the same time. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He's looking. He's searching. He's on his phone. He's trying to... What is going on? You know what, Jeffro? I'm on... Well, we record here. I'm recording um, using a program that we used to record on. At the same time, it gives me access to the internet. What the weird thing is right now is my internet is not working. Yeah, so this is also around the same time the IMF started whenever the United States had one of its bankruptcies. Oh, how convenient. Uh, just referring back to the SESCUV Trust, maybe. And 1917, right? That's what we said, was 1917? What else happened in 1917? Not entirely sure, but I know it wasn't uh, that far away from you know the Titanic sinking. And the Federal Reserve becoming a thing, correct? 
uh, I, I will tell you this. What I do know is, you know, and Google is trying to suppress this information so much right now. Anything that has to do with Nazis, they try to suppress it because, you know, we want to forget, you know, all the horrible things that the and Nazis did. that's when did. we repeat that shit, right? And that's when we repeat that shit. Um, so uh, one of the things introduced by Joseph Goebbels, who was a Nazi propaganda propagander, uh, he had all of the uh, tone forks change from a 432 to a 440. And you have to wonder why. You have to wonder why you would do that. And there's a lot of speculation that it was used to uh, you know, keep people off a of harmonic frequency and Jews more directly during that time. So while you're you know, just wiping out massive amounts of the Jewish people, you're keeping them off a of harmonic balance. For what reason? Like you got this whole group of people that you're massacring what at what does frequency matter at that point i almost wonder if it's maybe the jewish religion doesn't already know something about frequency and this is how they were able to keep them away from being able to do certain things maybe escape maybe uh move to uh more hierarchy frequency so that they can rescue themselves, so to speak. I, 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 what, I feel like I'm no, getting no, off base No, you know here. what? It's interesting that you talked about that, and it's a it's in my notes. It's a little bit out of order. We were going to get to it eventually. Oh, jeez. But you're exactly right because whenever you talk about the – we haven't really touched this on the subject, and it's complete uh, – and, and understanding and, and, and completely explaining it, but what you're referencing is later. Later, what you're referring later on in this presentation, we're going to go ahead and get into this. It's interesting that you pick up on that. And what I'm referencing is gematria. Yeah, right? gematria is a, the Kabbalistic method of interpreting the Hebrew scriptures by computing the numerical value of words based on those and their constituent letters. Which was heavily studied by the Nazis, which was also heavily studied after World War II by the CIA and the uh, the military complex as well. Right, exactly. And um, have you ever seen that movie, uh, Men Who Stare at Goats? Yes, love that movie. <laughs> yep, cloud bursting. Actually, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I believe I have possibly done that myself, but I don't know. It could just be, I'm hoping, right? But yeah, I, the, the the men who stare at goats, and you're, you're talking about, at that point you're talking about telekinesis. Well, it's kind of, it was kind of telekinesis, wasn't it not? Was it not? No, remote viewing. Remote viewing. Yeah. Okay, so like, okay, all right, so yeah, in, in a sense, yeah. Majestic 12. Right. I mean, oh, did the same thing around the same, remember, remember the Ghostbusters movie? Remember um, uh, Bill Murray was doing it with the with the cards? Yes. In the beginning of the movie, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, in the beginning of the movie. So, again, <laughs> no matter how many uh, ways we try to deviate from the conversation, it seems like at, at some point, somehow, some way, it all matches. So you're telling me, Joseph Goebbels purposefully changed the tuning forks 
yes. from one frequency. The frequency that is found in nature, again, everywhere, to something that's non-harmonic and possibly use it as a weapon. That's... Mm. I mean, hmm. you also have to wonder, you know, if, if if a Nazi, a propaganda Nazi, who was in charge of propaganda, right, had all the radios replaced, you have to wonder... Um, now that our music is purposely 440, right? Yeah, it's, it's still to this day everything's tuned to 440. Yeah, it's it's almost like witchcraft, is it not? Is it not like a spell? Yeah, absolutely, is a spell, and this again goes to the idea and the art of language itself. Right, it's something that we talked about with chromosome two and chromosome seven. It's how we articulate and communicate with each other as a species. It's the ability to go ahead and talk. It's the ability to go ahead and hear. It's the ability to go ahead and resonate a frequency produced by our voice box and able to interpret it as satellites through our ears, interpret it into the brain through the neocortex. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's spelling is. The ability to go ahead and, and that's what they talk about spelling all the time, right? They talk about being able to, which is being able to, you know, cast a spell on you. Well, whenever you spell out a word, what are you, what are you doing? Casting spelling. You're casting spells, right? And, and language in of itself, you know, could very well be considered witchcraft, right? It's the ability to go ahead and communicate verbally and all this stuff, you know, Going back to the opening of the video, if you guys think that this information isn't known and what you know people consider secret, you know, secret schools of, of knowledge, as as it referenced in the beginning, you know, this is stuff that Pythagoras talked about with the musical scales. Again, octave scales of twenty-seven notes. How's that? You know, here we go again. That number twenty-seven pops up again. Two seven. That's also the how many books that are in the protestant bible the king james version um in the new testament uh you talk about uh how plato talked about this right mm-hmm. and we talked about the music of the spheres with plato mm-hmm. right i mean how, at what point do you stop and say hmm there there has to be something to this information yeah, and it gives it also gives proof to what I had said uh, earlier in this particular podcast about how anything can be hijacked and manipulated, right? If you get the nefarious people who can do that, and those people happen to be in power, they will do that, and all of a sudden, you're not just casting one spell upon one person; you're casting one spell upon all of humanity. You know, now we're talking about the International Music Standard or Organization or whatever it is. Taking a, a harmonic tone, 432, and doing exactly what Joseph Goebbels did, and, and ironically, in 1939, and right. saying, you know what, we're just going to make it all 440, was it 444? Right, yeah. And and now it's, you know, what are you, what are you trying to keep people away from? Astro projection? Possibly. Uh, their, Astro their, projection. Their hierarchy? A well-being. I mean, again, you know, I, I sent you a TikTok not too long ago about frequency. When we were talking about uh, 
We even, I even reference I reference all the time as Royal Rife and the Cure of Cancer. Um, so I sent you a TikTok earlier. It was actually today I sent you a TikTok of a guy who was uh, you know looking into that, and it was a frequency. Again, he looked into you know the the different findings of Royal Rife. Cured himself of cancer, by the way, with his Royal Rife findings and a machine. Um, and he found out that he was wasn't really using the correct frequency for the particular cancer that he had, but it still cured him. And he wondered why. And uh, he later found that uh, cancers really have much to do with um, parasites living in right. the body, parasites and worms, right? The, the waste material that they produce. The waste material they produce, right, exactly, in, in the different areas that they are in the body. So and I, I kind of made that connection, and, and I said, Jeffro, I said, wait a minute, what? That makes sense because there was a drug not too long ago in the past, what, two years that's been demonized by, you know, the world, not just this country, it's the world, right? Different uh, mainstream media and big pharma trying to tell everybody not to take ivermectin, which is a horse dewormer. It's a dewormer. Right. It's, uh, it's anti- a dewormer. Parasitic. Right. Exactly what it is. So I put that down. I'm thinking, well, that makes sense because if people don't have cancer, they're not going to make money off the people who get cancer. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, and when you sent that, you know, I just immediately my mentally rushed me back to that time. And I, I, there was a lot of things I was doing at that time, including fasting and, and intermittent fasting and things like that. But again, I, if, if you wanted a prime suspect for somebody who they said at the time was going to be high risk, I mean, I was, I could have been the poster boy. And the fact that I had been consuming ivermectin for about a month prior to actually getting it and the lack of severity, like, I mean, I've had, the flu worse than right. I had that. I mean, I never even had a temperature. I remember because you, you come over to my house, you thought you had a cold. Yeah. You're like, well, I just have a cold. So I just right. sniffles, whatever, well, I'm fine. Right. When I came back off from being on the road, on I the went road, and right. did one of those emergency sort of uh, tests at my local doctor's, and they said, no, I didn't have it. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I didn't have it. It wasn't until a few days later that my mom contracted it, and she wouldn't let me around her because she's a loving mother. Until I got an antibody test. And when I got the antibody test, they're like, oh, yeah, you, you got short term, long term antibodies, meaning you must have just contracted this and, and recovered from it. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> so, yeah, man. Uh, the, the, but here's the thing. The, the, and think about this. OK, this is why information is important on any scale. Right. So when we talk about these things that you're quote unquote not supposed to talk about and that you shouldn't talk about, and you're not allowed to see or hear about on, you know, mainstream media, Google, YouTube, things like that, things get suppressed away from the public. It's not necessarily for your own good because they're just playing ball, right? They're playing ball with the elites. So all of a sudden now you and I were having all these podcasts and we're talking about, you know, COVID and ivermectin and, uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies and things like that. Jeffro, had you listened to the mainstream media and gone the other way, they'd have, you probably would have ended up sick. They probably would have put you in the hospital, possibly worse. And I'm not saying yes or no one way or the other. I'm just saying at least this way, you didn't even know you had it. Correct. No, you, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, 
to, to lift the curtain a little bit, both you and our, our good friend, Sean. Sean, yeah. Um, shout out to Sean. Shout out to Sean. Uh, you guys both. Because I, I was a bit hesitant. You know, I was I was sort of looking at my what I had been doing as a career and thought, you know, hey, I'm, I'm traveling across state lines. The respectful thing I should do is, you know, just get the first, you know, dose. I was actually on the phone with CVS getting ready to uh, go and, and sign up the next time I got home to, to, to get the inoculation, get the jab. Yeah. And um, that was exactly when the Johnson and Johnson came out and they said, Hey, listen, yeah, you know, we're having really bad side effects. And I'm like, mm, I better think about this again. Cause at the time you and Sean both were telling me, Chris, Jevro, don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't, don't do it. And I remember because our, our other buddy, our other good, real good buddy, uh, will, um, I can't remember. Did he actually get the inoculation? Yes. He, okay. And he ended up, his whole family ended up really sick. And him himself, you know, I, you know, you're not trying to air everybody's dirty laundry, but no. he, he got it bad three or four times. He was hospitalized. Twice. Right. And, you know, he did it because uh, of his scenario with his with his children doing travel he sports he wanted to protect his family and the people around him exactly you know he it was the same thing everybody else was taught right yeah um it, it they use fear right, right. they it, use fear to coerce people into doing what they want you to do um and it works and, and it does not saying that you know some per some people are are weak-minded that's not what that's saying because they play on that and when you play on that, then you have, you know, that control. It's easy to make somebody feel like they are when you're telling them they are. Well, because fear is a very powerful emotion. It's a very powerful emotion. It's, but, 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 and, and it was not until afterwards, whenever he talked to you and I, because I remember, I believe he was talking to you first about it, but uh, he talked to us both about it. And he goes, you know, I, I should have just, I should have listened to you guys or whatever, you know, but the best, best way to handle that is whenever you do talk to somebody who realizes maybe they made a mistake is just to reassure them. Hey, you know, you're not a bad person for that. You know, we all make mistakes. We all do things and we learn from them, you know, just, you know, next time, keep your eyes wide open. And I, gosh, unfortunately we know there's going to be a next time, right? This is this is gonna happen again. It it always does. Something will happen that they that they don't agree with. They need to try to reset or push a reset or do this or do that for whatever reason. Again, we're we are all expendable. We're more than expendable. Your government freaking hates you. The world elites they hate the masses. They did they do. But uh, anyway, I feel like I'm getting off base with the whole frequency thing because we were talking. No, no, about actually, it. actually, you're not. Um, it reminds me of something that we've covered in the past. And again, you know, this, this is a culmination for me, uh, really, when we're talking about this information. This is a culmination of a lot of different podcasts that, that if people you're interested in going back and listening to. But again, I had speculated with several people on Discord about whenever we did the Saturn episode. Yes. In Secret Societies. And the brothers, you know, the brothers of Saturnelli or... We got we got a lot of uh, feedback off of that when we did that one too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And and we talked about how there is an actual hexagon at the North Pole of Saturn, and right. there was speculation that maybe there is some sort of signal 
right? Frequency. Casting or frequency, casting itself, emitting itself, broadcasting itself because Saturn's got the, the rings, right? Very much like a record, like a record player, you know, mm-hmm. so to say. And, you know, if, if you go back and you listen to that episode, it, it talks very much about there being some sort of frequency broadcasted towards Earth in an effort to block the actual reality that we're living in sort of to hijack that frequency hijack the the matrix and um yeah i i think you're talking about david ike yeah 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 yeah, that's correct thank you the david ike information that we released on the saturn episode where he talked about you know possibly and then again we're talking about the you know possible reptilians and i i know this all sounds crazy okay on the surface, individually, if you take, and we talked about this earlier in the day uh, here at your home, individually, if you take a lot of these subjects out of context on their own, it doesn't make sense, right? But when you put them all together, you get a very vivid picture of what could possibly be going on. Uh, you know, I speculated on, on Discord that there is a frequency of Saturn that's coming here, right? But it's supposed to be a frequency of love, right? Because hexagon is 6, right. 528, 5 plus 2 plus 8 is 15, right? 1 plus 5 is 6. That's the, the sixth part. The heart is the sixth representation of the heart. Chakra. Chakra and the 369 or the 963 that Tesla talks about. And if you want to instill fear, what's the best way to instill fear is to capture the that six frequency, all right, mm-hmm. capture that, that frequency and project fear into it. Right. And that's going to break up our reality that we're possibly, you know, the, the hologram, it, it's, it's being hijacked. It, it was the speculation that I proposed. Well, keep this in mind also, and I'm looking at it right now, the Saturn frequency is 147.85, right? 147, that's only... It's very close to 144. Very, very, very close to 144. And who's to say by the time the Saturn frequency, you know, that's that's the frequency on Saturn, right? Right. Now, what happens to that frequency, let's say, if we were to throw it at Earth? Is it still 147.85? Or is that the original frequency that's supposed to be? Maybe that's the reason why it's not 144. Maybe that's the reason why it's being projected at that frequency is it's a disresonance. You know, it's not. Exactly. You know, it's not what it's supposed to be currently. Right. That's that's all I was just thinking. Oh, no, that's that, yeah, no, that's an interesting point because, you know, again, we're, we're talking about the idea of fractal patterns, the idea of the fraction of a man, the idea of as above, so below, as within, as without, you know, the hermetic code, right? Right. If any of this can be applied to practical theology you look at the idea of light you look at the idea of all these other elements you look at the idea of of pythagoras and plato and the platonic solids and going even all the way back to the anunnaki and some of the sumerian codes you look at the ph balance you look at the schumann resonance which is 7.83 which is the resonance that earth emanates seven plus three plus eight is 18 right 
So here we go again. One plus eight is nine. Why, why do all these numbers matter? It was because they show up constantly. Yeah. Like a, like a computer code would. Right. Right? That's why it matters. And if it keeps continuing showing up, eventually you have to admit that it matters. Bottom line, right? As you would with anything ever. Right. If someone tells you who they are, believe them, right? There's an old saying, all right? If, if you're in a bad relationship or a toxic relationship, you know, someone cheats on you constantly, trust what they're telling you. They're a cheater. That's very true, Jeffro. Um, you know, kind of like when you hear about people, you know, out there trying to erase the Holocaust saying that it didn't happen, you know, Nazi sympathizers, right? Um you do have some of them out there, yeah. They're Nazis. Like they're, you know, you can't erase you, you you can't erase history like when you when you erase history like that you're doomed to repeat it. But I almost wonder again because you were talking about the uh the chakras and the uh you know the sixth chakra, the the heart chakra. Heart chakra, the field, the the frequency field of the heart. And uh Goebbels. changing the frequency. Changing the frequency. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's what he was doing, uh, trying to get to the heart chakra of the, the Jewish people. And I almost wonder, you know, what does that do exactly? You know, like why we're talking about Nazis you, you, again, you know, they were putting them in ovens and, and chambers and things like that and just wiping them out. Why the frequency? Yeah, it's almost like they're seemingly there, there wouldn't be any importance behind it unless unless they were trying to erase something more than the physical body wait a minute wait a minute so you're telling me that they're by doing this by interrupting the harmonic frequency of the Jewish people during the Holocaust they weren't just eliminating their physical presence but also their metaphysical presence their spiritual presence it, it's plausible i mean you've got to look at all the the religious stuff that the nazis went searching for all over the globe they had to have had this this sacred school teaching knowledge of frequency i mean look at it you we're know. talking about possible soul killing <laughs> yeah complete annihilation of the spiritual embodiment of their soul and yeah. i don't I, I don't say soul maybe soul killing isn't the the right terminology maybe it's uh uh soul suppressing maybe it's uh you know sending to the dark afterlife or something like that maybe taking the, the soul off its frequency path to uh, a higher higher presence by channeling a darker frequency into them and which which by the way you know we all know now is being done through our music globally right because the same frequency is what all music currently is being resonated at almost as if since 1939 since 1939 almost as if they're they're keeping us in some sort of prison planet alex jones feeding souls to yeah. 
hmm. possible. I mean, how I mean, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go with this? And on, again, on its face, on the surface level, you know, I, I could imagine someone saying, "What are you two talking about?" But why is there ever you have this? Why why is Joseph Goebbels even interested in this seemingly overkill, for the lack of a better term? of even implementing any sort of scientific you know frequency in in the camps well why does it matter well it matters because the jewish people and the code that they left behind when you reference things like gematria all right jeffrey i i think that's a nice little cliffhanger for our listeners there for this episode. I think we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap this one up. We've got more to talk about on this though. We're not, we got a lot of material. We're not done here yet. We're going to keep going with this. uh, Just not on this episode, but we don't want to keep it going and make you guys wait even longer. And so we, we think a nice little cliffhanger here is probably the best way to end this one to give you something to listen to and uh, drive other people crazy with. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Absolutely, man. Well, Jeffro, what do you think? Until then? Until then, Mario. <laughs>